The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Mark 15, 1-15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, John. Well, I had um, just gotten my license to drive. My um, world was made felt the freedom that I had been given when I was 16, living in Dallas, Texas. My uh, head football coach had his two nephews in town, and they uh, were there for, I guess, a weekend or a week. It was um, during the summer. We were kind of all getting ready for the next year. And he entrusted, the head football coach entrusted me to drive his nephews around, show them a little bit of uh, where we lived and uh, take him to lunch, that kind of thing. And uh, I, driving down one of the streets uh, with them in tow in the car, uh, they were about my age, saw a, one of those, and the officer Liz, who's listening to this, she'll love this one. Um, there's one of those uh, big, tall signs that tells you how fast you're going. Long block. I'm thinking, let's, let's see how high we can get these digits, right? You like that? Um, and so I gun it, like I'm like, let's do this, and I just am going down, I think it was Southwestern, I think, I think that was where you grew up, man, that's frightening, um, and I'm driving down the street, and it's just, the numbers are just going up, I'm like, this is so awesome, it gets, I'm going like, end up going like 50 and a 30, I'm just flying, all of a sudden, someone, a person jumps out from behind the numbers, oh, it is a policeman, waving like, get, you get over there, and it's just me, like, I, all of a sudden, the steering wheel, the brakes, I just pull over, and I just, everything of the freedom of me owning the moment just went to nothing, and here in the back are the two witnesses that are going to tell the head football coach what I just did, so it was like one problem on top of another, my parents, the police, my head football, like, all these people at once, and it was one of those moments where in the moment, I'm thinking, I'm driving as the digits are flying up and up, and I'm thinking, man, I am, 
I'm the master of my, uh, my domain right now. Like, I'm owning this. But it took only a second for that policeman to step out from behind that, that sign and just reduce me to nothing, simply by the presence of an authority. A- authority tends to do that, right? And then from that point on, I, you know, I felt all sorts of things. When I came into that authority, I realized, okay, I'm caught. I felt shame, defensiveness, anger, fear. <laughs> you know, I felt a million things. You know, authority does that to us. When we come in the face of authority, it evokes something in us. And we're meant to be submitted to it, right? We're made to submit to authority. But we also, at the same time, have this tussle of really wanting to get out from underneath it. Oz Guinness, who's a, um, a great theologian and, and philosopher, actually described our views of authority in this illustration of three umpires. I love this, this illustration. He says, the first umpire says there's balls and there's strikes, and I call them the way they are. In other words, they're saying there is truth, and there is such thing as a ball and a strike, and it is my job to call that ball and strike. Now, the second umpire says this, no, 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 no. There's balls and there's strikes, and I call them the way I see them. Well, listen to this one. So to this umpire, here's what's different. It's not so much the truth, but the way that you see it. It's more relativistic. You may see that ball and strike coming across the plate as one thing, but I see it as another thing. And it's okay for you to see it that way, but I really see it my way. But finally, there's a third umpire. The third umpire says something different than the first two. No, 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 no. There's balls and there's strikes, and they ain't nothing till I call them. Now, this is a whole different position because this one is saying there's actually no truth to be called. In other words, it's similar to what Nietzsche said uh, in the will to power when he talked about truth doesn't really exist outside of an individual. In other words, this often ends up being what we have is a power struggle. So, the views of authority in this nature are whoever has the loudest voice wins. That's kind of authority. And we see all of these in our mix. (laughs) And they all cause something in us. I don't know what it's like for you to brush up against authority. Maybe you tend to submit to it quickly, but at the same time, maybe in your heart you hate it. But maybe you're the kind of person that's always bucking against it. But when it comes to authority and what we see in in our world, we are people who struggle with it. And yet we long to have it. We don't know what to do. We're kind of in this mix. And as Os Guinness puts so well, I think a lot of us, whether we're the first, second, or third umpire, we have to deal with authority. It is something in the picture. The, the view of authority is all over the place. I mean, this is, if you want the common topic in our news, this is what you read. This is what you hear. And how do we respond to specific authorities over us? And, and, and when you read the Gospels, here's what's fascinating. Every one of the Gospels, which are narrative accounts of Jesus' life, every one of them have very stark reactions to his authority. Every one of them. And they're all different. Some people were marveled. It actually uses that language a lot. They marveled at his authority. 
Some of the religious leaders hated it. We even read that. We'll talk about that a little bit today. They, they reacted vehemently against it. The, the Roman authorities were constantly perplexed by it. They didn't know what else to do. The demons, it even talks about spiritual world. The demons and Satan himself, even a shudder in his presence. There is an authority. Here's the question for us this morning that this, this passage poses to us. Jesus is, number one, an authority figure. But number two is, how do you respond to his authority? There's no bones made about the fact that Jesus is claiming authority. He is claiming to be a king. And in fact, he's claiming to be the king. What we're doing even in this morning and in this church is to proclaim the fact that Jesus isn't another voice. He's supposed to be the voice, but how do we respond to it? And this is one of many passages, I think a good one, that really draws up the fact, how do you respond to his authority? What's it like for you to hear it? Or does he just kind of come into the mix and cycle through of what helps? Maybe his authoritative voice gives you something, but not everything. Jesus isn't ready to be one voice. He is claiming without doubt to be the authority. And yet he's an authority unlike any other. So I want to look at this really through the eyes of kind of the main characters in this story. As you read this uh, little passage, this is narrated in other accounts. I'll refer to Luke. Mark, Mark who followed Peter to write his detailed account, really more wants you to know who is Jesus. Like if there's one question that Mark is trying to answer is who is this guy? And he just kind of, that's why it's the shortest gospel. It was actually the first one written. For us to say, who is Jesus? This is who he is. And Luke kind of draws out some more of the details later on. But the first, the first view of who Jesus is comes right in verse 1. It, it really is the, the religious leaders. And we'll kind of lump Barabbas in a little bit of that because he was a part of the religious outcry against Rome. So if you read verse 1, it says, As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away to deliver him over to Pilate. So we're reading on the backside what they have been planning, plotting, working at. They have been waiting to take Jesus to the Roman authorities and get rid of him. Their plan is coming to fruition. All they got to do is get the Roman governor at the time, who was Pontius Pilate, to agree that he needed to be taken care of. And it was only Pilate that could agree to capital punishment. Now, the Sanhedrin, or the Jewish ruling class at the time, could bring people to them all the time and say, we need to take care of this person. They are <clears throat> disruptions, there are problems. The capital law could be you know, brought to the Roman go governors but the only person that had the power to kill that person or take them down was the governor himself, and that was Pilate. And, and the thing that I love about this is that it says Pilate kind of calls him out. Pilate says in verse 3, and the chief priest, it says in verse 3, the chief priests accused him of many things. What were they, what, what could they accuse Jesus of? Luke kind of draws this out. He says, misleading their nation, forbidding tribute to Caesar and saying he's a Christ, a king. And Pilate, and here's the irony of all of that. If you think about what all three of those things are, 
They are everything that the Jewish leaders want to get rid of in Rome. Here's the big switcheroo. The religious leaders who want to get rid of the oppressive Roman government. In fact, that's why Barabbas is actually in prison. He's one of a group called the Zealots who by force, by violence, was like, we got to throw off the shackles of this Roman government. Here comes a king who does it in a way no one else does, and yet what do they do? Crucify him. They've been planning to get rid of him, and they bring him. And their accusations are everything they want to do is get rid of him. I don't know how you think of authority, and maybe for many of you in this room, you kind of, if you're here, maybe church has been a part of your authority for a while. Maybe it's a piece of your life where you're kind of like, oh, I'll, I'll submit myself to this. But I think it's really important to say, why? Why is he authority? Why should we listen to authority? The Lord has even set up the idea and understanding of the universe as an authority as what we would call, and some of my friends who are psychologists say, the parent of life. What the religious leaders are wanting to do is they're wanting to get rid of Jesus in order that they can be the authority, but the irony is they still won't be. They were just replaced one for another. We're all submitted under some authority, and we're all trying to get out from underneath another one. But that's what the parent of life is, right? There are things in life that no matter how hard you work, you cannot get out from underneath them. We always joke it's death and taxes, right? But I mean, I remember as a little kid getting in trouble, my parents wanting to punish me. I remember running, like literally running out the door, and I couldn't cross the street, so where am I going to go? Like I'm like running in circles around the house. Like at some point, you hit another authority, and I had to submit myself to it. And, and what we see here is that the universe, the entire way that God has made the universe is that, that we are to have an authority and submit underneath it. What is the one you're willing to submit to? See, for the religious leaders, it's having their own power. It's having their morality. It's being able to have the law and meet it and feel good. Because Jesus, what does he do? He critiques What's the whole reason they want to get rid of him? Pilate calls him out. He says, <laughs> he says, <clears throat> um, where is it in verse, uh, that he saw that they were envious of him, of, of, of Jesus. That Pilate recognized that the religious leaders were envious. That Pilate even recognizes that. What is it about Jesus that critiques their worldview so much? There's so much in their authoritative view of themselves and living in their own world. Because isn't it when Jesus critiques us when we hate his authority and we actually want to get rid of him? It's pretty simple in that sense, is that they want to get rid of him. They want to exchange Jesus for a a homicidal political zealot in Barabbas. They want to exchange the peaceful king because he critiques their authority. That's the whole reason. And so they exchange one boss for another. I love, it's like the Who's great song, right? Won't get fooled again? Oh, we're not going to get fooled again, said the Who. Great musicians. They said, new boss, same as the old boss. There's always one after it. There's always another authority. 
Getting rid of Jesus doesn't get rid of authority. Understanding who Jesus is makes sense of it. Because otherwise, he's critiquing your worldview and you're just saying, no, I don't want him to critique the way I view sexuality. I don't want him to critique the way I view my political party. I don't want him to critique the way I, I handle my taxes. I don't want him to critique the way that I handle my marriage. I don't want him to critique the way that I approach my job. Because when he does, isn't that when we want to get rid of him? Isn't that when we say, crucify him? As much as we don't, we wouldn't admit it, but isn't that where we go? Because we don't want to have an authority. And he's an authority unlike any other. Yes, he speaks and critiques into every corner and nook and cranny of your life. He's not going to leave anything there. And yet we're so set to live in servitude that we don't realize he's bringing a freedom. He's bringing revolution. I love Aldous Huxley says this. He says, most men and women from his book, Brave New World, he says, most men and women will grow up to love their servitude and will never dream of revolution. It's because we end up loving our servitude. Isn't that what Jesus critiques mainly the religious leaders about? He says, you're slaves to the law. And they say, we're not slaves to anything. <laughs> he says, you don't know freedom. He says, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. And for most of us, we would say, yeah, I adhere to that. We would say, I believe that. But do we really? When he comes to you and says, you know what? The way you're doing this is not the life. And the way you're seeing this is not the way. And the way you speak about this is not the truth. Here's the truth. See, the Bible isn't just a bunch of rules. It's actually trying to get us to understand the real authority in this life so we can live life under him in freedom, in truth, and in grace. It means that he's speaking into every part of you. Here's what's fascinating about his kingdom that's so different than any other. If you want to really pull back what authority you, you live for, check out how long the authority lasts. If there's one thing that was interesting in Acts chapter 5, Luke wrote Acts as well. He said this. This was actually another event after Jesus had already left. He had already ascended into heaven. And the religious leaders are fighting over this. And listen to what they say. In Acts chapter 5 verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. That means uh, the disciple, the apostles preaching the gospel. But a Pharisee, mind you, in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put men outside for a little while. And then he said to the rest of the religious leaders this, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thudius rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people from that, uh, drew away some of the people following after him. He too perished, and all followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan, <clears throat> if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be opposing God himself. 
This is such a fascinating discussion because what he's saying to the religious leaders, this Pharisee of Pharisees is teaching the religious leaders, look, there have been, and you may not realize this, there were a number of people who came and claimed to be the Christ, said, I'm king, I'm the authority, follow me. They either rode in to Jerusalem with a sword or they came in other ways. But what is this Pharisee saying from the historical annals of Scripture? Saying that they failed. True authority lasts. It endures. It doesn't just come and go. It's not like the new iPhone. It's not something we glue ourselves to and we need a new one to to take us to the next level. it, It lasts. It endures. Jesus' kingdom and his authority is different because it lasts. And this, pushes, this should push us because if we're traditionalists and a lot like maybe some of these religious leaders, it may last for a long time. Maybe you long for the good old days. Maybe you look at Nashville and you see all the cranes and you see all the things and you're the kind of person that says, man, I wish Nashville was the way it was 10 years ago. Are you the kind of person when Jesus pushes against you about your old morality, the things that you think are correct they may not be when you read in the Scripture. Are you willing to submit to Him? Are you willing to submit your traditional ethics and morals to a God who made them? And maybe you're on the other end. Maybe you're saying, gosh, contemporaries looking at Jesus want to keep up. Gosh, we just need to keep up with culture. We just, progression is perfect. This is what we need. This is why I moved to Nashville. It's one of the most progressive cities that's it's happening right now. It's one of the best places. Well, are we, are we willing to have Jesus critique our culture and our view of it? Jesus' authority does not rest or stop in one place. It goes to all of them. And if we're publicly proclaiming to be followers of Christ, we're publicly proclaiming that we have an authority that is greater than any authority that we can find on this planet or outside of it. He is the one who made it. The, the other view here that's, that's interesting is because it, it turns it on his head is Pilate himself. Pilate was not known very well outside of his connection to Jesus, but we know a little bit of him from about 26 AD on. And this is even non-religious uh, historical texts say things like he was stubbornly harsh, rigid, spiteful, and exceedingly wrathful man. He did a lot of bribery, acts of violence. He constantly murdered those without trial. He was just one of these kind of people that just clung to his power. And But the biggest thing you see here is that you may notice his kind of waffling. He just kind of is like, yeah, I don't see any fault with this guy but what's your deal with him? You know, he seems almost like he's much more in tune of what's going on in the crowd than he is about principle itself. This actually came from an event where he used to steal money from the temple treasury, and he began to build aqueducts with them. And his reign in in Jerusalem, particularly when the the Jews would come, he started to try and set up standards or images 
of the Roman emperor or of standards of Rome, and I was always having backlash. And when he did this to take the money from the temple treasury, and Luke, it gives us another brief account. It talks about the Galileans' blood mingled with the sacrifices that Pilate created. He actually was, as he was building the aqueduct when he came to Jerusalem, a horde of, of, of Jews from Jerusalem came to stop him or to, to, to move against him. And he, he actually sent um, kind of these undercover troops into the audience and killed thousands. And so for him, he drew not only the eye of the emperor saying, why are you causing all these problems? But he also had all the Jews in Jerusalem saying, you need to listen to us. He got death threats all the time. So here's a man trying to figure out, what's my authority? How can I hold power? It kind of makes me think a little bit of the late, great Tom Petty's song, It's Good to Be King, when he says, it's good to be king, have your own world. It helps to make friends. It's good to meet girls. A sweet little queen who can't run away. It's good to be king, whatever it pays. You know, he's kind of this guy who is trying to just live in his own world, hold his own authority, have everything he can have. But what he does and what you see that he's saying is that authority can't coexist with Jesus. He's perplexed by Christ. He kind of wants to serve the expediency of what works rather than the principle of what is. He just kind of wants to have this harmless, he's harmless, Jesus is harmless. You hear his voice, he says, what has he done? I see no evil. Especially when they made the charges against him, he was silent, he thought, What's your problem? Jesus doesn't do anything. Does Jesus just coexist? And, and it, it begs the question of, maybe you're here, maybe you find yourself more of a view of the religious leaders, but maybe you find yourself a little bit in the view of Pilate. Maybe the, the view of Jesus through Pilate's eyes is, Jesus is this harmless character. He may have first, fine, I'll call myself a Christian. He can have first dibs on a lot of my life. But really, he's not the principal character. He's not doing anything. And, and often we can view his Jesus authority as this kind of sweet, sentimental, tolerating kind of thing. And, and this is the thing I have actually against, the, and sorry if you have this bumper sticker, but against those tolerance bumper stickers isn't because I think we're not supposed to tolerate. It's because the difference between Christianity and and, and anything else, it doesn't say tolerate enemies. It actually says you're supposed to love your enemies. It's not a defensive posture. It's actually an offensive one. What he's doing in critiquing Jesus is saying, I'm going to put you on trial. I'm going to see, and this is a typical understanding of God's authority today. I'm going to see if God's authority is helpful for me. And maybe you do this not just in total, but in one place or another. This is what C.S. Lewis was talking about when he wrote this small essay called God in the Dock. Dock is a British word for on trial, (laughs) basically on the stand. He said this, the ancient man approached God, or even the gods, small g, as the accused person approaches his judge. For the modern mantle, roles are reversed. He says, the judge, God, is in the dock now. He is quite a kindly judge. Even if God should have reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease, eh, man's ready to listen to it. 
The trial may even be end in God's acquittal, but the important thing is man is on the bench and God is in the dock. See, this view of authority is essentially the fact that we are the authority. I let Jesus in my life, but I let him in my life. I'm the one who really holds, maintains his authority. I'm the one who actually says, no, 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 no. They're not balls or strikes till I call them a ball or a strike. And then Jesus can have the authority over it. This is the kind of question of, and I need to throw this out there, of thinking about why do we have academic scandals? Why do we need to pay universities to get our students and our kids into them or play sports? Right? And for many of them, it was a subtle kind of thing. Some aware, some not even aware. Why do we do that? To circumvent authority. Yeah. There's authority in life, but we can go around that. We can be our own authority. I can, I can make my, the, the authority of my child being all he or she can be is much more important than them not suffering the, the rejection letter of not getting into a certain university. Do you think we have a problem with authority? That's the view of what Pilate is talking about. And here's what's amazing. You know what he's most amazed at in this passage? He's most amazed at the fact that Jesus won't open his mouth. That Jesus just sits there. You want a marker, do you want a, a, a designation of maybe if, you're, if your authority is less than Jesus? or something else, and I know this one very well, is that when your authority is pressed on, how defensive do you get? I mean, if there's one thing you, didn't, you did if your kingdom was oppressed or pushed on, you opened your mouth. You said, no, 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 I am a king. Jesus did not open his mouth, and it blew Pilate's mind. Because what was Pilate used to? Defending his authority. What were the religious leaders doing? Defending their authority. What do we love to do? Defend our authority. When push comes to shove and that one thing gets tampered with or spoken into, and, and I wanna say this, not by just Christianity, but by Jesus. Typically, what we don't like to do is have Christianity we, we label it as, oh, Christianity tells me this about this subject. So I don't know if I agree with that. No, 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 let's not excuse it on the label of Christianity. Does the Bible, followers of Christ, speak to the reality of what you and I really worship as the authority? And are you willing to submit to it? Are you willing to close your mouth like I need to so often? and sit with the reality. You know what good parenting really is? I'm learning this over and over. <laughs> good parenting is when I don't have to assert being a parent. And if there's a need or something for my kids, then I don't have to prove or stand up tall or shut them down to prove that I'm a parent. It's the steady quietness of my eyes and reality of what is not defending being the authority. Jesus did that in the face of death. Talk about martyrdom. He knew what was coming, and yet he submitted himself. 
What is the greatest authority? It's the one who's willing to submit himself. Why is Jesus worth bowing to? Honestly, why is he the one that's worth bowing to? Because no authority does this. No authority gives themselves in this way and then says, come follow me. I mean, what an odd thing. This is why it was a stumbling block. If there's one common phrase in Greek that's all through the Gospel of Mark, it's this phrase, you may have seen it in there, called handed over. He was handed over. It actually continues. If you're an authority figure, like a king, somebody has real power, you're not handed over. You hand other people over. But this king does something different. The term handed over is a passive work in Greek. It means that all along the way, Jesus submitted himself to death. You want to know his authority? You come and taste it. We, we take the body and blood of Jesus because we believe that he actually holds authority. And yet he submits himself. There's no other paradox like this. Nothing else can submit an unruly heart like Lewis says. Nothing else can make us lay down our arms, our weapons, our defense more than someone who submits themselves under us and yet holds more power than us. That is unbelievable. And so coming to this table means that we hold that Jesus is the authority, and don't we want him to because here's, what, here's the kicker itself, that when you taste this blood and you taste this body of Jesus, he's saying he's the ultimate authority over every part of your life, but he commands authority over your shame and your sin. There's nothing that can keep you from this table. If he's the authority, you can submit to him because he doesn't wield it over you. He brings you in. And then he speaks back. It means you go out of these doors and you take it with you because he transforms your heart. Let's stand now.